and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Lee. Hello. And um, I always, I'm so used to like, it's built in just being like, and our film was this, but we're like, yeah, we just preamble yeah. a little bit. How you going? Good. Very good. How are you? I am not too bad. I'm recovering well. Yes, you've had the spicy cough. <laughs> yes, the spicy cough, as you called it. <laughs> um, but no, no, yeah, we're both Claire and I are recovering nicely um, after a week or two off and things and uh, lots and lots of movie watching. So. Yes. How many movies are you up to? Uh, I have seen 96 films this year so far. Because you were 95 and we just watched it. And we so just watched the 96. film, so now I'm at 96. And did we decide how many days of the year there had been? We're on day 77 of the year. That's well done, Chris. Yeah. So well, I suppose a bit of isolation helps with that, I guess. A little bit, yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm being disciplined this year. I'm trying to watch like at least a film a day. And yeah. I'm it. well ahead so I can take some time off and go on holidays and things <laughs> and not watch movies. Nice. But um, no, I use most of the lockdown time to kind of watch older films. Yeah. Um, Following on from our like Oscar discussion and in kind of prep for the little one we're going to do later, I, I rewatched a bunch of Best Picture winners. Ah, so, nice. Yeah, sat down and watched uh, All About Eve, uh, On the Waterfront, uh, In the Heat of the Night. Yeah, just kind of diving into some of those old ones. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, I've enjoyed the the Criterion Quest has definitely got me back into older films. Yeah, that was the thing. I'm like, I've got a week off. I need to like... And there's all these brand new films that have come out. Um, and I was like, you know what? I just feel like watching old movies, though, from like the 40s and 50s. Mm. Yeah, just in that mood at the moment. It's nice. And I guess with uh, Best Picture Winners, sorry, if you hear us laughing or you hear random scratching noises, Chris's cat. Is- Fa- yeah, Fancy Pants is being a spaz. <laughs> <laughs> but you're guaranteed a banger if you, well... I was going to say, if you watch Best Picture Winners, but not always, I suppose. Not always, <laughs> but, like, yeah, for the most part. Um, yeah, so, like, Claire watched All About Eve for the first time. She'd never seen that one. And, yeah, it, it's reminding you of, like, a, a different breed of film won Best Picture. It used to win Best Picture. or used to be a kind of front runner back then. Like, the, like All About Eve is just a conversational film about backstabbing <laughs> in Hollywood. <laughs> like, that's, that's all it is. And, yeah. Like, it's a real expose, like, kind of on, oh, this industry fucking sucks. <laughs> like, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But oh, yeah. and Betty Davis just that, like, <laughs> strap yourself in, it's going to be a bumpy night. <laughs> like, you know, brilliant. Uh, but have you watched anything lately? No, I mean, I've been watching a bit of, like, just crap on TV. I watched the Pam and Tommy thing. What do you think of it? I didn't like the beginning, and then I found the middle got really interesting, and I went do spoilers, but her character became more interesting. I think she started off two-dimensional and then she had a bit more stuff going on and then at the ending I didn't really like. So it was fine. In the great words of Chris Swan, (laughs) it was fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's one I got a couple of episodes in and kind of fell off and I think I need to get back in and, yeah. Yeah, it was okay. Hmm. That's about it. (laughs) That's about it, yeah. Uh, But before we get into this week's film, uh, it is uh, spine number 301, which means it is time for a look back. So the previous 10, we have Heaven Can Wait, Unfaithfully Yours, The Flowers of St. Francis, The Browning Version, Crazed Fruit, La Notte Bianchi, Al Hazard Balthazar, Gate of Flesh, Story of a Prostitute, and The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. (laughs) 
What have you got? What, what, what do you reckon? Do we do the our least favourite first? Get Definitely. that over and done with? I think we're going to agree on this one. Flowers of St. Francis? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just just nothing to, like, it's... Oh. And it's one of the, Rossellini is one of those filmmakers where I want to love his film so much. Like, yeah. it's... You hear about them being on such pedestals of yes. like, you know, you, you hear Martin Scorsese constantly talk about how he's a great auteur and one of the best filmmakers, but it's, I just find them dull and boring. Well, I can't say I've seen many, but I definitely found this one dull and boring. Yeah. And it's like we've said before in other religious films, it's like reading the Bible. Yeah, just duller, duller. <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, there, there were a couple of interesting ones, like, you know, Unfaithfully Yours, we were kind of wowed by the yep. camera work and things, even though that kind of had a bit of a lacklustre third act. Yes. Uh, Browning version, I think both of us were kind of a bit floored by that one and, like, yeah. way better than we expected. I really enjoyed that movie. Mm. Uh, La Notte Bianchi as well was surprisingly great, uh, yep. going in with very little expectations, but... Um, I'm going to say my number one of this 10 is uh, Kingsley Zissou. Of course. <laughs> uh, Life Aquatic. I, yeah. It just, yeah, I, I adore that film still to this day. I loved our discussion about it. Mm. Um, but it's also, I think I'm, you know, it's one of those time and place that I saw it and what it means to me and things. So yeah. I, I love that film. I would say Balthazar was on par with St. Francis. Oh, wow. I really did not like that movie at all. Um, I really liked uh, the story of a prostitute and Gator Flesh. Mm-hmm. I thought they were fun. Uh, you know, it lacked, became dull in parts, but had some really cool scenes. Um, I really liked, I think the Browning version was probably my favourite. That's your number one. Nice. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we've spoken about my... Take on Wes Anderson, and I'm still on the fence with him. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Browning version as my favourite. That's nice, yeah. That was a solid, lovely little like film. something that... surprises you. Yeah, that's great. Those are always the best mm. ones. The ones when you go and just be like, I don't know, it's set in a boarding school oh, in the 50s, and man. and it starts off, and you're like, oh, here we go. But One then, of these films. But then having, was it Tadworth giving him, like, the gift, and oh, you're just like, oh, It was yeah. so heartfelt and beautiful. It was yeah. a lovely film, yeah. I loved it. The, you know it's a good criterion when, like, you know, months later it still sits with you. Yeah, like, when I was looking through the list, it jumped out, and number one. Yeah. Definitely. Well, but that's the thing, like, I had to look up what Unfaithfully Yours was. Like, <laughs> not, not, I love Preston Sturges, but it was also like, I, that was so long ago now. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, oh we yeah. Fortnightly, don't we? And we might yeah. have had a break. Did we have a break? Oh yeah, we had a we've had a couple like a couple of breaks because of um yeah like studying and oh, also yes. uh, me getting the spicy cough and things. So yeah, but we're we're back in it and uh, we are back in with a, a kind of native filmmaker. We've kind of claimed her. She's kind of like a Russell Crowe, yeah. where she's actually from New Zealand, but Australians like no, nah, she's Australian. Yeah, but they can have Russell Crowe back. But, um. <laughs> Yes, I like, well, anything from New Zealand, we're, it's just ours. Pretty Thank much, you. yeah. We're, we're the same. Yeah, it's Lord of the Rings, that's ours, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is our first Jane Campion film. Is it the first in the collection? It is the first in the collection. Ooh. She has one other at this point in the collection, which is her first feature film uh, called Sweetie. Oh, okay. Uh, this is her second film. And you've 
recently been re-watching. Maybe we'll do the <laughs> synopsis and everything. Yeah, okay. Away, and yeah. then we'll get into it. So, An Angel at My Table by Jane Campion. Uh, with An Angel at My Table, Academy Award winning filmmaker Jane Campion brought to the screen the harrowing autobiography of Janet Frame, New Zealand's most distinguished author. Three actors in turn take on the lead role, including Kerry Fox in a marvellous performance as Adult Frame, as the film describes a journey from an impoverished childhood marked by tragedy to a misdiagnosis of schizophrenia resulting in electroshock therapy and a narrowly escaped lobotomy to finally international literary fame. Unobtrusively capturing the beauty and power of New Zealand's landscape while maintaining the film's focus on its figure at its centre, Campion broke new ground for female filmmakers everywhere and earned a sweep of her own country's film awards along with the special jury prize at the Venice Film Festival. Spoiler alert for trivia later. <laughs> Jeez, that's a, yeah. that's quite the synopsis. Yeah, this is an interesting one. It really is a film... I love when moments like this happen in the world of cinema when a new voice arrives and is instantly heralded as mm. this is a new great filmmaker. Mm. Um, prior to this, uh, Jane Campion had kind of been, uh, she'd made a couple of short films and she'd made a TV movie called Two Friends and then her first feature film, Sweetie, which is a real weird comedy. Um, it's really enjoyable. It's uh, late coming up, I think, in a maybe 50 to 100 spine numbers in Criterion. Uh, it's a weird little black comedy. Um and that earned her a little bit of kind of recognition. And uh, she then made this. And it was a, holy shit, this is a new, wonderful filmmaker. Yeah. I adored this film. I yeah. just loved it. It was, I think, watching it together. And we had Claire yeah. stay for the whole film, which I yeah. was a big compliment. Oh, definitely, she, yeah. <laughs> she, you know, and I think it's we've said this before with our... Our partners or, or friends, if if they stick around, then it's a it's a good things. And I think uh, watching it with Claire was really nice because we there were moments throughout it that were very uh, relatable in terms of her coming into herself and and different things that she went through. But oh yeah. Yeah, 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 spot on. Yeah, I so mean, it was nice watching it with another girl and another yeah. teacher because there was a few. Oh yeah, moments in schools and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm very, I'm very glad Claire stuck around for you just because, yeah. like, it's. I mean, not to say that I can't relate, no, no, but it's also but it's, like having another woman there <laughs> definitely for oh, some. Yeah. You guys were really relating. Yeah, point and we it was, were talking yeah. throughout and not over the top in a way where we were uninterested, yeah. in a way where we were relating to this film together. And I adored, like, I would look over and I would see both of you two reacting to certain things that obviously are way more personal for, for you guys than they are for <laughs> me. And I'm just like, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. no, I really liked watching it um, mm. with you guys. But um, before we get into the movie, what what is your impression of Jane Campion? So I've not seen many of her films. I, yeah. I... Watch the piano, and I love, love, love the piano. It's one of the few films I still have on DVD. You were actually the person that uh, pushed me. Uh, I had never seen the piano Ooh. until about a year and a half ago, uh, when we were in the the deep throes of lockdowns here in Australia. Um, that was one film where you yelled at me like, "How the fuck have you never <laughs> seen the piano?" Oh wow. I've forgotten it, that. It was a big blind spot for me and um, that kind of, I rewatched. I watched that for the first time maybe a year and a half ago and was like, 
I love Eugene Campion. And then yeah. Power of the Dog has come out yes. recently. And at the time of us recording this, and I think when the episode when we're going to put out the episode, she might have just won the Academy Award for Best Director. Yeah, well, that's what we're banking on. We're yeah. thinking that. Mm. Hasn't happened yet, but she definitely deserves Best Director and it'd be mm. nice to see another female director. Yeah, oh, director. absolutely. But so the piano is kind of your only... Yeah, the piano, obviously now the power of the dog in this. Okay. But yeah, piano is very dear to my heart. When was, did you watch that when it first... Not when it first came out. I think it was something that... Uh, maybe in my late teens I watched. Because that's a... Re- yeah, actually, that's a real adult film. Because we were maybe, I think, 10 when yeah. that came out. So that, that's a real adult movie yeah. to watch when you're 10. Yeah, I think it was something... I don't know. I must have seen it somewhere and it caught my attention. You know when a front cover of something grabs your attention? It's yeah. It's like a, a good poster or, or something like that. I remember probably seeing it on the shelf at, I don't know, Blockbuster or something like that and, and hiring it and loving it. Because the piano is a weird one where it had a lot of different kind of posters a lot of it was like for america they didn't know how to market the film so it's like i don't know it's just a wide shot of the piano on the beach i I don't know whereas for australia we had like this beautiful kind of brown almost gossamer painting thing of like Mm. holly hunter's face and harvey keitel's face and thing it was like oh this looks actually kind of striking and i think was it you who showed me a more modern take on the poster oh it's the criterion cover is it criterion yeah it's the Ah, new criterion blu-ray yeah i I just i just got that actually a week or so ago yeah it's a beautiful poster Mm. that's probably my favorite oh it's amazing the it's I mean, Criterion can be a bit of hit and miss with their artwork sometimes, yeah. but that one's fucking gorgeous. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But um, I, I it, we're recording this at an interesting time. Um, like not just Jane Campion about to win the Oscar, hopefully. Mm. Um, but I have actually just in the last probably three months or so, what rewatched or watched for the first time all of her films. Yes. Um, shout out to the amazing podcast Blank Check. If there are any other uh, blankies out there listening, um, the uh, the podcast where uh, David Sims and Griffin Newman uh, work their way through directors' filmographies, uh, they just wrapped up a Jane Campion miniseries. That's awesome. Um, so I week by week would watch along, and so I, I've now seen all of her films multiple times now. Nice. <laughs> and you left tonight, though, didn't you? I did. I purposely didn't watch Angel at My Table. Yeah. Um, I wanted to save it to watch it fresh for this recording and yeah, yeah so I will go back and listen to that episode. That's the one I skipped. So. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be interesting. To, yeah. Are they two guys? Yes. The podcast? Yeah. But they yeah. often have, um, you know, a guest or another film critic or writer or journalist on. Um, but yeah, it, it's her film career is super interesting. Yeah. She's a she's an interesting, interesting lady. Would you say after watching her filmography now that you can pick her style and her filmmaking way? Yes and no. It's an interesting one for me because it's not showy. No. You were saying the characters or, or the unromantic way that she films history is sort of her style in a way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is it, that what you were, you've seen yeah. more, so I don't know. Well, it's it's almost like to her, like it, it's her characters are first and foremost to her, not mm. not in the sense of trying to necessarily create an interesting visual world. And that's not to say that she doesn't in her yeah. films. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like we've just watched Angel at My Table. 
how visually different that is from her next film, which is The Piano, mm. like, which is blue and, like, it's, it looks like it's shot through a fucking blue scrim. Yeah. And it's muddy and it's grimy, and but there's, like, this weird romanticism that comes out through the characters. Yes. And that's what I think is the ultimate strength of all of her films is there's not necessarily a unifying visual style to her yes. filmmaking, but the way she treats and presents her protagonists. Um, also, mainly the the majority of her films, the protagonists are uh, women as mm-hmm. well, which is great. Mm. Um, but yeah, so this this comes after she's made her first feature film the year before called Sweetie, and um, that got her a little bit of kind of notice and acclaim and things. And she uh, basically was like, all right, I've, I discovered Janet Frame when I was 13 years old. I read her autobiographies and it broke me. Like, it, it kind of... That's a formative time to read that shit. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it apparently, like, just destroyed her and she was like, I want to make this film. Yeah. And so she was coming off of a little bit of heat off of making Sweetie and she was like, I don't think I, like, now's, like, I've got a little bit of juice. I'm going to do it now. Mm. Like, just what, like, if this could be my only chance to make, if I only get a chance to make one other film, I want to make this one. So she made it. Uh, with the original intent of it being a TV miniseries, which explains the uh, two-and-a-half-hour runtime and the parts ah. that it is broken up into. So it would be like a three-part miniseries? Yeah, of like 45-minute, like a- hour-long episodes. Yeah. yeah. It was originally intended for uh, New Zealand television, which also kind of explains the visual style, how it's very close for a lot of how it's shot. Uh, in a lot of medium and close-ups and things, which is very television. Yeah, knowing the knowing that it's going to be tr- eventually trimmed into that four by three aspect ah. ratio and stuff, so it's cut. Uh, but when she like finished shooting and editing it, everyone was like, "This is going to the Venice Film Festival. This is I a fucking this. movie." Yes, like, it and she's is. like, "Oh, are you, are you sure?" Yeah. <laughs> like, I love your little thing. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I didn't really shoot it for that, but okay. <laughs> and yeah, it, it went on and. The rest is history. Mm. Like, you know, she wins an Oscar for her next film and becomes the first woman nominated for Best Director. Wow. And then she kind of falls off the rails for a little while. (laughs) Yes, well... In a great great way. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's never been a director for hire. She always makes her own, her own, like, her own stories. And every film is different. Yeah. Like the pia- this angel at my table is different than the piano. I mean, Portrait of a Lady, uh, which he does after that, is kind of is similar in the sense of it's a period piece and like the blue gossip, the way that it's shot is kind of similar, but it's narratively very different. And then she just goes bug nuts for a while and does Holy Smoke, the cult deprogramming movie with Kate Winslet and Harvey Keitel set in the outskirts of Sydney. Like, weird. Like, Claire watched that one with me and was like, this movie's fucking weird. Yeah. Um, And then she does the weird, dark uh, crime sex thriller with um, uh, Meg Ryan and Mark Ruffalo in The Cut, which Ah. is... Uh, I love that film. Uh, it is one where I'm like, I get that a lot of people don't like it. It is shot in such a weird, different style where it's, I don't know what lenses she's using, but it's almost like each, the edges of the frame are blurry almost. And yeah, weird, lovely, like psychosexual thriller. I, I love that film. And then she kind of gets back into it with Bright Star. Um, which is more of a period piece, poetry thing. Gorgeous again. And then she just kind of disappears for like 11, 12 years. 
I mean, she does Top of the Lake, the TV series, and then comes back for Power of the Dog. Wow. Which, again, is totally different than anything she's done before. But it's interesting because we spoke about this while watching uh, An Angel at My Table, but if I think about Power of the Dog, it's the characters are very, I don't know, I feel like there's a a thing about romanticising the past and I found, (laughs) especially An Angel at My Table, it's like I do not want to live in any of these times. This is horrible. horrible. You were like, yeah, you're lamenting everything, even down to like the bras. Like, why would you wear that? There's a, there's a scene that I can't. I'm not. I'm never going to recover from it. Please leave the bathwater the way you found it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Are people in this hostel or hotel, whatever you want to call it, sharing a bath? The water from the bath. What the fuck? And then she glanced down and there's a mouse on, like, at her shoes. Everything was just disgusting. And do you know what I mean about romance? Like, if I think about movies set in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, something pops into my head and it's the fashion. It's the the hairstyles. It's the the music. It's Mm. it's all these things. And this film, I reckon, is a way more... Accurate? Accurate. (laughs) portrayal of what it would have been like for most people. Yeah, well, that's the thing. When it comes to a lot of the stories we hear and hear and are presented from this time period, you know, th- this ranges from the 1920s all the way up to the 1960s. It is like, I mean, for that first part, we'll say in the 20s, 30s and 40s, the, a lot of the stories, at least in sort of the mainstream culture that were presented, it's the upper-class white people. Yes. Like a, a middle-to-upper-class white people. Yes. And this is, like, she lives in a fucking hovel shack. Yes. She gets, like, you know, dragged out of class. It was like, when what, When did you last wash? Yesterday. What did you wash? My hands. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's disgusting and Her horrible. jumpers with the hole with the yeah. elbow sticking out and oh, stuff. Oh, it's just, it's about her teeth. Her teeth. Oh, mm. my God. But I, I have to say, I... Loved that about this film. Yeah. The, the more I cringed and got upset, the more I reacted and, and loved it. So, mm. um, should we get into the story a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. So, we start off with Janet. What do they call it? They call it Jean or Jane? Jane, and then her family calls her Nene. Okay. We'll like call a little pet. Yeah, well, it's Janet, Janet Frame. Yeah. And we start off, and it's. It's like we are being told a story from someone's memory. It's not yeah. like the story's being told in the moment. It's so fragmented and, and vignette and and you, and I think you were saying it, Chris, that it was like, what are the moments from childhood that you remember? Yeah, and they're wh- often the most traumatic wh- ones. Wh- what I like to call the permanent memories. Yeah, you know when you're having those things where you're like something happens, or you're like you're out and about, or like something, and you're just like, I, I know about you, but I have this thing in my head. I'm like, well, that's a forever memory. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's going into deep storage. <laughs> like, it, it's like something inside out. <laughs> yeah, like that's something that's core memory. Yeah, it's a core memory <laughs> that happens and. Um, this film is based off of three autobiographies written yes. by Janet herself. And yeah, you're right. It is just a, the film's almost the narrative style of it is we're presenting you those core memories. Yeah. And it's, you've been, t- it's, it's got that memoir, um, um, about it because you're, you're being told it from an adult look reflecting back. And it's weird because we don't know her. And as we experience all these little moments, 
we realize she doesn't really know herself and she doesn't really belong or she doesn't really have friends or she doesn't really have a place and she's very different to her sisters and her family and I've just got to say, schools back then, oh my God. It, it was an experience watching this with two primary school teachers. It was bad. I'm like, <laughs> I would not be a teacher back then. I don't think a lot of women had choice over their professions back then, but they are crusty, <laughs> mean, horrible women. I guess it's, 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 I mean, I'm wondering if it's because at that time and place in, you know, rural New Zealand and things, it's. For a woman, uh, becoming a teacher is actually like a, well, I could be scrubbing the floors. Like, yeah. it, it's actually a lofty, great position that are few and far between for women at that time, unfortunately. And do you know what? Not a very satisfying one back then. They no, they all seem grumpy and pissed off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're, they're babysitters, not educators. Yes. And, yeah, obviously the torture that they put these children through, um, we... One of the first things we see is Janet buys chewing gum for all her friends. And we don't know this, but you feel in your heart that she's done it to make friends. Oh, absolutely. But this is not explained. Um, She is the most socially awkward little child. With so much hair. (laughs) So much red fro. The first scene I saw, I'm like, whoa, that's some hair. (laughs) She kind of looks like, little Janet kind of looks like when Kyle in South Park takes his hat off and it's just this... <laughs> little red fro. Yeah. Or I so I also said Annie. Oh, little orphan Annie. Yeah. Little yep. orphan Annie. Um, yes, and the teacher finds out it's her, and then makes her stand with her nose to the blackboard until she's ready to tell the truth about where she got it from, and then all her friends ridicule her and call her a thief. And I'm like, oh. Do you think she actually did steal the money, or do you think she? We see her take it out of the pocket. Oh, did we? Oh, yeah, I must yeah. have blanked that. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, but. It sets up that this person is, this child is not treated nicely by anyone around her, doesn't have really many friends. A rough childhood. Oh, yeah. to say the least. And they all sleep in the bed together, all four girls. Yeah. Turn, turn, <laughs> turn. Oh, my God. No yep. wonder. But all this sets up her, for her awkwardness later in life. Absolutely. She's, she's treated so poorly by everyone. And then she finally makes one little friend and they oh. bond over, they bond over, what do they bond over? Poetry. Yeah, they, they, this is my book of favourite stories. Ooh, stories, And yes. it, I love them, the scene of them sitting in the little, the bathtub horse trough out in the paddock and it's just like, can I touch your hair? <laughs> it's like, do you want to touch my leg scars where daddy beats me? Yeah, it's with br- a machine gun. Yeah, it's, br- it's brutal. But <laughs> um, it's also like this beautiful little bonding moment by two little outcast girls. I think that is at its crux, like where this film shines. Yeah. It, what is so interesting as well, you could definitely see if any other filmmaker was like, hey, I'm going to make a biopic about Janet Frame. I'm not going to spend 40 to 50 minutes on her as a prepubescent kid. The, like, that's what's so great about it is Jane Campion take, like, she's like, I'm adapting these three autobiographies. I'm going to give each time period its due. I'm not going to breeze over the childhood because that's as developmentally important as to who Janet becomes as anything else. And to skip over this is meaningless. You are rooting for her in that final act. Yeah, because we've spent time. Because we've learned (laughs) and we know intimately who this person is. Very much so. Um, the, The part that I just broke me early on is. 
um, <laughs> them, her and her friend going out and uh, watching her sister in the woods. Make fuck? Making fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but the parents' reaction of, you're not to see that friend anymore, it just automatically had that flash thing of, like, when you're a kid and it's like, no, you two can't be, like, the parents have to intervene, but like, you can't be friends anymore. I'm just like, oh, that intimate... Like, oh, that's, yeah. Do you know I had that exact thing happen to me? Not the make fuck bit, but... <laughs> you didn't you didn't watch your sister making fuck in the woods? <laughs> um, but me and my best friend, we went through a stealing phase. Oh, we yep. used to steal from Kmart and Coles and whatever. Yeah, yep. And uh, my friend's dad was a police officer and his mate saw on the security camera his daughter and her friend stealing. Uh-oh. So we got told for all of... The whatever holidays it was that we couldn't be friends anymore and see each mm. other. This is Boomba. Yeah, yeah. And it was luckily only that two weeks, but it was awful. How old were you guys? Oh, probably like 12, 11, 12, something okay. like that. Little. Um, but old enough to know better. Um, but yeah, it was the worst. So I was like, oh, I know what that feels like. I, I don't, I never had that myself, but I have a very vivid memory of um, it happening with my brother. Um, it was just a thing matter of like him and this, and this is when they, and they were like the age Janet was like eight, like real little. Yeah. And, that, and that's why like, it's something that's always like, Oh, that's heartbreaking. And they would just would distract each other in class and get oh. each other riled up. And it's like, you guys can't be, you're a bad influence on each yeah. other. You can't be friends anymore. And just imagine like harkening back to that thing of like having an eight, little, two little eight year olds having to sit down and have the conversation of. We yeah. can't be friends anymore. Your it's friends at that age are everything. Yeah. And it's always you've got like, you might have a few, but you've got that one friend. And I just know when she gave her back her special book. Oh, so, ooh, and they go on their like, other ways. So heartbreaking. But then it's kind of, you get this beautiful uplifting moment later on when she is at the library and she finds the book. She brings all the books home for her family and her brothers and sisters. And that's one of the books. And it's this thing of, this was something special to me. That's no longer in my life, but I can now share it and pass it on and have that with you. It's like these little, God, this movie's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and I think it's from coming from not someone who's here. Make a, This is a biography. I'm sorry, a memoir. Turn this into a movie. Okay, I'll go away and read and find out about it. Cool. This is coming from, like you said, someone who's a big fan and yeah. read it at a really formative age. Yeah. He d- knows this this work. Yeah, and and the the choice she makes to present it in a way that is not in a traditional narrative form. It is mm. just vignette moments. And it's so jarring. Sometimes you're not sure where you are. Yeah. And you can be a little jarring, but they were very few and far between. You you got used to the nature of how it went really quickly because you you, you were still with the same character and yeah. you knew who she was. So you latched onto her and you just jumped along the way with her. By the time she's into like that nice um, kind of the girls, the, like at the private school and things like the, the scene I think we, we mentioned it was like when she's sitting on the stairs and she's got a little group of friends, but she kind of looks over at the popular girls. Yeah. Like you're just like, oh man, this is just visual storytelling. I, I know exactly where we are in this person's life. Yes. We haven't explicitly been told no, this. It's just nothing. You've been yeah. given nothing, but you get it all from the look that she gives. Yeah. And like I said, that lingering and that, that sense of storytelling of, oh, it's I guess it's faith in the audience of like, if we just present this person's life, 
everyone who's watching this film has lived a life, they're mm. going to fucking get it. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And Claire and I really uh, identified a lot with um, many things that she went through. Um, her getting a period. Mm. Oh, running and telling your mum and then that fear of school of it coming through your dress yeah. and you're like, oh, God. And we both said when you were that age, that is your worst fear. It is your worst fear. Um, yeah, just different things like that. But I, I, I felt really sorry for her because she's just so visually awkward as well. That <laughs> hair, man, my God. Well, the girls run over in the thing to try and, well, we can try and do something with it, I suppose. And, and I just love that whole scene. She's not saying anything. She's sitting there like, hey. Mm-hmm. Like, almost like a puppy dog that's getting attention. Like, because yes. it's the popular girls being like, we've never seen anything like this and we're paying attention to you now. And she doesn't even know how to react. Yeah. So it's almost one of those things where you're like, I can kind of see how some people thought you needed to be seen by some doctors I, yes. I, what's the nice way to say this yes, uh, yeah because of the time 100 yeah. percent she you're different you're you're different yeah that's right and we've got to i mean and, and i'll say like she's different because she's a fucking teenager yeah like there's actually nothing wrong with her nothing <laughs> wrong as we find out but she's very awkward but it's so understandable what she's gone through she loses her older sister who she loves She's treated like shit at school. She doesn't have any friends. She's sleeping five to a bed. Oh. Uh, her oldest brother has epilepsy. And yeah. she, you have that one, like, image of him, like, that one memory of him having a fit and the parents, like, throwing him in the bath and, like, the screaming. It it's like, oh, it's it's harrowing. It is. And that was one of the terms, I think, in the synopsis. And I'm like, yep. Mm. Um, but it makes so much sense. And it, my thing was I was so heartbroken for her at how she was just so willing to listen to everyone and didn't have her own sort of mind in a way to what's the word not agency I think it is agency Agency, yeah Yeah. she didn't have any agency over her life and she's just like whoever would talk to her would completely influence her and it's so interesting because you know I've never read any of her work but you know just from the synopsis and everything Someone who's obviously super influential as a writer mm. is in them in themselves the complete opposite is just so influenced by other people yeah. and can just be manipulated so easily. Well, it's almost like is that the like how what basically made her be such a great writer is by becoming that person and like adopting all those like adopting people like she did is that kind of her absorbing and mm, you know what made her a good writer yeah she's a, she's an observer yeah she's and that's kind of you know her what was viewed as her like there's this wonderful fucking moment um when she's in uh, high school where it's the teacher calls out the girl sitting behind her of like oh Deirdre off with your daydreams thinking up stories again it was just some random girl who'd spaced out <laughs> and then the camera f- shifts over to mm. Janet who's who then is like Oh, is that what you do as a to be creative? And then she sits and like yeah. pretends to zone out. It's like, no, <laughs> teacher, this is actually the person who's. Yeah. It's an amazing little moment. Moment, yeah. yeah. Um, the one thing I'm interested, like you were discussing, like you know this introverted person and like the observing and like how that makes her an influential writer. Do you have any interest at this point to 
read any of her stuff? Oh, absolutely. I think I'd I'd need to be in the right heads. Yeah, yeah. It Maybe. seems a bit bleak, but... I mean, her first short story that she created ended up the lecturer or the teacher or whatever you want to call him... Um, Tells her to commit herself to a freaking asylum. Like, well, yeah, her first her first poem gets published in the paper, and then yeah. she well she writes a short story about her attempt. Well, this is when she now jumps jumps to college age. Um, she she wrote a story, a personal kind of story about attempting suicide, mm. which it's again Campion makes the amazing decision to not show us that. Yes, we just there was a scene where she wakes up on the floor. With a bloody nose, and we would, and you actually said, it "Was like, is this her first hangover? What's yeah. going on?" It's not explained, but as the next scene unfolds, that that's when you find out. I love. That. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant filmmaking. Um, um, and it's clever for the the teacher because she's probably just given him this story. This is what you do afterwards. You you digest the scenes, and then you go, "Oh, I think this is what happened." This and is I love what this that. was all about. Yeah. Um, so he said, oh, it must have been really hard to swallow all those aspirins. And that's his way of checking, is what she wrote autobiographical? Yeah. Or is, you know, say, that's his sneaky way yeah. of asking her if this story was about her. And then she goes, oh, no, it wasn't that hard. I and just then, swallowed a bunch of water. Yeah. <laughs> like just so matter-of-factly. Yeah, <laughs> and that's his way of... and But you don't know, this is going blow by blow. Like with, But then you go to the next scene, you're digesting it, and you're like, oh... Um, but yes, I would love to read her works, but I think I'd need to be in the right headspace. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so wonderful as well. Like the, the way it's a kind of established throughout the, the idea of her not understanding necessarily power dynamics, I guess, oh. like her being enamored and kind of in love with that professor, like saying he looks like fucking Clark Gable when he does not. <laughs> um, but then it's like, oh my God, this guy that I have a crush on is talking to me. Mm. It, was it hard to swallow? Oh, no, it's fine. It was fine. Just making conversation, not understanding that he's actually using his position of power to actually manipulate, manipulate her. her. And that's something that kind of continues to go on until... And it's I, that's why I love it so much. It's Janet's... We're watching this character slowly become independent. Mm, and yeah, before that, watching... Like, I don't know how much lower you can go. Yeah. The scenes in the psychiatric wards are... That's where it's harrowing. It's, I mean, it's harrowing throughout, but that for me was very difficult to watch. Yeah. Very difficult to watch, especially because there were people with different conditions. We understand now, like Down syndrome, and it was just horrible. It was, it was probably one of the most harrowing things I've seen in a long time. Yeah. I was very upset. By yeah, those you things. you went from like you opened this podcast when we we're watching the film. You're like, I love this film. You even said it when we opened this podcast. Yeah. You're like, I love this film. You actively yelled, I hate this film <laughs> during, yeah, I... yeah, during these moments. Oh. But see, that's the thing. Like, it's eliciting a response. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's what I love. Yes. Whether it's, you know, I, I hated... What, what what Janet was going through? Yes. You, you relate you you relate to this character so much at this point, or like you've connected with her so much that you you're like, don't fucking hurt her. <laughs> like, yeah. what are you doing? She doesn't have schizophrenia. Clearly, she is lucid and con- like, what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> and then the horrible part where she nearly gets a lobotomy, but it, it's a lobotomy. Yeah, yeah. Um, like it. Those I, New Zealand accents—they're tricky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think like. Having that little bit of knowledge before watching that she is an acclaimed writer, 
like how close she came to losing I know. that. It's and, such and the, a powerful moment. And the thing that only stopped it was the doctor reading in the paper that her book of short stories won a fucking national prize. Yeah. And it's like, oh, maybe she's not insane. Maybe she is just a person who needed to fucking chill out a bit. <laughs> like, you know, she's just a socially awkward person and we don't know how to deal with that. Yes. Because it's 1946 or whatever. <laughs> we don't and it's rural it. New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that poor girl. Um, no, she didn't have a condition. She just had a fucked up childhood. But um, I love how then the rest of this film, first she's committing herself. That's how low she is about herself and and everything. It's just awful. But the rest of this film, she, she kind of has people who come in and out for the rest of this film. And they do definitely influence her choices. But they're only there for brief snippets. Some bring her down. Some lift her up. But they don't... They don't... I almost feel like she's on her own trajectory now. Yes. She's starting to develop her own agency. Which she, has, she has little pushes here and there from the outside. Mm. But now we're finally seeing her. When she finally travels overseas... Oh, my God. You're well, like... Well, just before this is when the voiceover starts to kick in. Yeah, that was weird. Well, no, it's 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 brilliant. It's it's that little thing of like she's starting to have agency. She's oh. starting to become her own person. She's starting to have her own dialogue oh. and her own voice. And I she's figure, figuring out who she is as a yeah. person. So the character we're seeing in the film is becoming so confident that she's actually taking command of the film that we're watching. Oh, and, that is brilliant. Yeah. Self awareness. All that, yeah. and I, I mean, a lot of uh, the the voiceover that we're hearing is just excerpts from her novels and her writing. But that's what better thing to make have our you know, for lack of a better term, the protagonist of our film take power of her own narrative. Yeah, it's oh fucking so good. It is so good. I didn't even pick up on that. I was just like, is that a narrative all of a sudden? Yeah, like I what? Didn't what? Pick up on the. Reason. Has she been talking this whole time? <laughs> and I just wasn't paying is it attention. In my head? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> Carrie Fox, is that you? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I love it. And even though it might sound like, yep, we're finally getting somewhere, it ceases to be, harrowing's not the word, but... Tumultuous? Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not a a Hollywood, this poor woman is barely holding it together. (laughs) And the fact that she gets overseas at all... I mean, I would find it really hard to travel by myself. Oh, yeah. And I have a smartphone. (laughs) (laughs) She gets to the um, accommodation. They're like, no, we didn't get your letter. You can't stay here. She just falls to pieces. Yeah. Oh, God. And then she meets fucking Patrick. The biggest (laughs) cocksucker in the whole film. And there were a lot of them. He has like three scenes in the first two. He's like, oh, you you fancy free? (laughs) We had to Google what that meant. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Oh, it means are you single and ready to mingle? (laughs) (laughs) And she's just like, I suppose. And then he's just like, good, don't hang out with the blacks. And she's just like, cut to I'm in Spain now. Or I'm in, I've, I've ditched him and gone to Paris because smart move. Like, that guy sucks yeah. a lot. Yep, Spain is definitely our little he- piece of heaven. In the- It stands out so much compared to the rest of the film. And, and it's not... She's still really awkward and she has those awful moments where she's trying to say hi to that guy and he just ignores her and she tumbles over the table. But it, It's right out of uh, The Lost Daughter. Yeah. It reminded me of like her going so up to Ed Harris playing poker. Yeah, so <laughs> um, But, you know, but then she kind of finds her people. 
And the guy that she meets, she you know has a little bit of a fling relationship. Is, He's still oh, not a great guy. It's the bummer but it's thing. So good, like you're so happy for him. Yeah, He's a dickhead. You're like, it, oh, good. But <laughs> even before that, it's like you made the point while we were watching it. It's like almost having having that language barrier does away with her awkward social yes. awkwardness. Like there's that wonderful scene where the two saucy Spanish ladies are like unpacking <laughs> her bags and she's like, no, no, they're pants. Women wear pants where I'm from. Yeah. And it's just that like the language barrier is forcing her to t- communicate more kind of vividly. I and guess. without the social cues. Without, instead of just like, without using language where she's like, oh yeah, I suppose. Yeah. She has to be like, no, pants. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah, showing yeah. how you like get up and do things. Yeah. And it forces her to actually come out of her shell and she's a great person and like gets engaged in like what's happening. She's writing and then she just meets a bunch of annoying beatniks. Yeah, but she she feels accepted by them and that is more than she's really ever had. And even though yeah. they're all kind of dickheads and they're not as talented as well, her. That's the thing. Like I'm wondering if, because obviously this is her writing, uh, you know, looking back on mm. her life and if she's kind of imbuing it with the sense of like, oh, it was fun at the time, but <laughs> like she's, yeah. she's kind of putting a little bit of stank on it. Whereas there's the night when the nights where she meets the painters and the writers and things in London and she's, she's like, I'm home. Yes. I found my people. Yes. And then I'm in Spain. It's like, ah, they'll, they'll do. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. the the Americans seem a little preoccupied on being artists than yes. they are actually create. Like the moment where he criticizes her for not having written in a couple of days is yeah. like fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> you're just <laughs> ripping off Picasso. Like you put up a Picasso on the wall to like imitate. Like shut up. Yeah. What's his name? Like Brian? I forget. Like yeah. <laughs> but you know, like I guess the fact that they're just talking to her and including her is so much for her. Yeah. Which is sad, but it's still like. Yay! <laughs> and then she's having her romantic European romance. Yeah. Swimming naked in the Mediterranean and yeah, getting... Yeah, I was like, dude, why are you swimming? You've had two sisters die from Yeah, I know. There is Get a, the hell out of there. There is a family history here. <laughs> you need to you stop. You girls haven't been taught how to swim. Stop going where there's water. Yeah. yeah. But I love those <laughs> shots, like... Um, just like the gorgeous, like this is gonna sound vaguely creepy. I don't mean it, to, but like her porcelain white skin and the mm. giant red hair mm. swimming in that, like the beautiful sunlit with the like the green Mediterranean water. Beautiful. It's just amazing cinematography. Just I'm guessing v- that, visually striking. I'm guessing that was filmed in Spain, but I'm not. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I think the rest of it. I think most of it's shot in even like some of the English oh yeah because we were having the issue of like where is she because this sounds like New Zealand actors doing bad British British accents I'm like no she's back home no wait where is she is is this an English accent I can't tell Um, but yeah, you are just, you are just rooting for her so hard. Don't go back. And she commits herself again to another psychiatric hospital and where she finds out you're not schizophrenic and you've never been schizophrenic. Yeah. She, she's kind of at a, at a crossroads in her life and unsure of what to do. So she recommits herself in, I guess, an attempt to get a more learned perspective on what's quote-unquote wrong with her she says i know it's important to take suicidal thoughts um what's the word like it's basically she uses them seriously yeah so she uses that as an she's like i've got an ultimate in i just go and say i've attempted suicide and they're like come right this way why 
why? I was like, why? It, it's again, it's that it's her continuing on. I guess it's almost like the final step of her journey of self-discovery. Like her whole life, she's been told she's something, even down like, and this is like the biggest thing to the point of she spent fucking eight years oh. in a psychiatric hospital and almost got lobotomized for something that some dickhead doctor misdiagnosed her as. And, and she goes, do you think it's a good, you can tell in her but that she she's, doesn't want it, but she her she's words crying. are saying she's like, "You think it's a good idea, doctor? Do you think I need?" And it? this the condescending doctor's response. This is at the New Zealand hospital. Just like it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's just the thing to do. And you're just like, "Well, that's what? not a that's not a fucking response." Oh, God, this um, it's just so infuriating, but brilliant, but brilliant. But, but yeah, her it's her recommitting herself and having that realization, like you know, coming to that. That revelation of you were misdiagnosed, you never had schizophrenia, it, it really is that final step of her, like, I guess, embracing who she is as a person. It's like, there is nothing wrong with me. Mm. Like, clinically, I have been told there is nothing wrong with me. I am just who I am. She goes back to New Zealand. Uh, her father's died. And, this bit I yeah. found really unsatisfying. So the, we, we find out that the, the, the family home is now a big mess. The father's died. I all all a, the kids have kind of gone off their own separate ways. And I, I wanted to see the mother one last time. I assume she's passed away at some point in the, mi- yeah, in the middle so. there. But I just, it would have been nice for her to come back to New Zealand and have the family react to who she's become. But I think, is that is that a bit Hollywood or is that a bit expected? I also don't think it was important to her. Like, like her family was just important to her being her family. They, it didn't matter who or what she became. Like, there was that one scene with her sister, like, after her sister and her husband come in and get her to fucking sign a bunch of books while she's in the mental, in the psychiatric ward. Um, and then when she gets out with them... Well, she's just like, oh, I don't want to. I'm not. She's like, I'm not going to become a teacher anymore. I'm just going to become a writer. And they're just like, well, what about mom and dad? And she's like, I don't care. Mm. Like she's she's not doing what she's doing for else. monetary gain or for the approval of her parents or her family. She's just like that. That's something that never seemed to come into play for her. And I think that's why we never get that resol. Like if there's no resolution to be had there. It's like no, family's a family. You said, though, the resolution was, um, for me, it just sort of ended, and I think I'm still, still digesting it, but the resolution was she was in that little camper van at the back of our, what I assume her sister's house is with the kids mm-hmm. and all that. So she's home and she's writing. Yeah. And she's safe. Yeah. And you said that the resolution is that she's... She knows who she is she and she's... She she is. She might not be at her final destination if there is one, but she's... Yeah, figured herself out to a degree. And it, it's great. It's something that's said to us at about the 30-minute mark of the film. She says, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be a writer mm. when she's a little kid. And the movie ends. That's what she is. Mm. And we know in life that's what she was. She, it's, it's amazing. It's this beautiful kind of, like, you know, like we said, it's harrowing mm. journey. But it's a ultimately triumphant one. Um, which kind of makes it really interesting and in how it kind of stands out amongst Jane Campion's other films. Um, I was reading Amy Talbin's um, essay that comes with the Criterion edition, and she made the great, like, she brings up the interesting point that for the bulk of Jane Campion's work, and this will even actually follow through with stuff that was post this, like mm. Bright Star and Power of the Dog and stuff, the, it, it, this is one of her few films that 
ends with the protagonist actually achieving a goal and it's unambiguous where they end up and they are safe and they are secure and they are happy. Mm. Like you think about the piano, it's it's kind of ambiguous mm. where... She's fantasizing about her death above the piano. Yeah. Like, well, where she ends up is with Harvey Cartel, but she's, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> but but really, she she's still fantasizing about her death. So is she it, happy? Isn't she happy? You know. It's kind of like the unifying kind of thematic thing that Jane Campion deals with in a lot of her films is protagonists finding themselves in a uncomfortable or unhappy situation and overcoming that or escaping that and then being at a crossroads of what do I do now? Mm. Like if you think Power of the Dog, where that ends, you're like, well, what are these characters? It's not a, it's, a, it's an ending, but it's like, well, what are they going to do now? Mm. Like is Kirsten Dunst going to be happy? Mm. Or is she going to get like, you know, fall off the wagon? Mm. Was was um, Phil really the cause of her alcohol? Like what? Yeah. Yeah, it's like... It's kind I of think, ambiguous. I think that's why I walked away because I remember in our wrap-up, not wrap-up, well, 20, what, is that what we call it, our wrap-up? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Anyway, I remember walking out of that and going, oh, I don't really know how I feel about yeah, it. Yeah. And I think it's because you've, like what you've just said, you've got to go away and really have a think and you don't have it explained to you and you've got to go, well, yeah, where are, and you're just left with it. I'm like, pretty sure, think. I'm pretty sure Cody Smith McPhee is going to become a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> like that's where that movie's going. Yeah. He's exhibiting he all this. Fucks with his mom. Oh, just all those the, the, like um fucking uh what's her name? Uh, Tom, um Thomason from uh, no. Uh, why am I getting the names mixed up? Um last uh last night in Soho girl when she oh, comes yes. in, it's I, like oh what are you doing? Not Anatolia Joy, the other one. Oh um, yeah, I think you're right with the name there. But yeah, I've forgotten. she uh, yeah. comes in. It's like what are you doing? I'm dissecting the rabbit. <laughs> like you know he's he's yeah. a weirdo. <laughs> he's gonna become a serial killer. Yeah. But this and good on him. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we each have our own path, just like Janet Frame. <laughs> but like yeah, looking at her filmography, this is this is a very unambiguous ending of a character or a person that has gone I keep saying character just cuz film I'm but, used to. Yeah. Um she's a person that has gone through such a tragic and harrowing and such a she's lived a fucking life. Yeah, it's this film's a journey. Yeah, and where she ends up at it at the end of it, or of what we're presented, is she's happy and she's healthy and she's doing what she loves. And she's safe. And she's I safe. That. I just remember her being safe. Even though she's in the tiniest of caverns, she's safe. And the fact that she was alive, like, she lived a good another 14 years after this film being made about her even. Like, she died in 2004. Do we know her response to the film? Uh, I don't know, actually. I did have some stuff. I don't know if I... I'll just make you do all the research. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then I ask you difficult questions. I, I think she was relatively positive. I don't have any direct quotes. I've got Roger Ebert's quotes on it, but yeah, nothing. I mean, yeah, I couldn't really find much. I think she was a bit kind of that would pri- private, I guess. Yeah, that would be a hard thing to watch. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. The good, good fucking movie. Yes. <laughs> I agree, and this wasn't in part of this wrap up, was it? Of the last ten? No, no. This okay, is this good. is the first one of the next ten. So. Yes, yeah, so that's good. So I've got my favorite for the next ten. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I don't know, man. Oh. We got some fucking doozies coming up. So good. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. But uh, do you want to hear a little bit of trivia yes. about this one? Uh, so as we 
kind of alluded to earlier. Uh, so the film uh, basically had its uh, premiere. It got in, induct, uh, accepted into the Venice Film Festival where it won the Elvira Notori Prize, the Film Critica Award, Gingerly Award, the Grand, Grand Special Jury Prize, the Little Golden Lion, the OCIC Award, and a Special Golden Siak Award. It won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven awards at the Venice Film Festival in 1991. Jeez. Not the Golden Lion, unfortunately. Not the main one. I had won the uh, International Critics Award at the Toronto Film Festival. Uh, as we alluded to, it swept the New Zealand Film Awards. It won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Inter- Best Foreign Film. And, yeah. As it should. Pretty much. In terms of other trivia, I got s- there's, there's not a great deal out there. Um, I mean, this was Kerry Fox's feature film debut. Uh, we didn't really talk about her. She was she amazing. She was wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful performance. I, I've always liked Kerry Fox. She, she doesn't, like, she's often a supporting role in things, like a lot of TV and film, but whenever she shows up, she's always fucking amazing. You know when you just know someone's face, but you don't, you can't pick them? That's what she was for me. Oh, absolutely. But anyway, her performance was, she was... Oh, she hurt me in the feels so many times. <laughs> she, she's incredible. Um, yeah, the only, do you want some real trivial trivia? Yeah, I love the trivial trivia. Uh, Kerry Fox gained 12.7 kilograms for a role of Janet Frame. She managed this by drinking litres of Coca-Cola, eating packets of chocolate biscuits, and going on the pill. <laughs> <laughs> that last one jumped out of nowhere. <laughs> going on the pill. Thank you, IMDb. <laughs> Yeah, um, but uh, with that, I'll move on to the actual Criterion edition itself. It's still in print from Criterion as a one-disc Blu-ray or a one-disc DVD. It's also available on the Criterion channel, and it comes with an audio commentary from 2005 featuring Campion, Dry- uh, Stuart Dreisberg, the cinematographer, and actor Kerry Fox. Short documentary from 2002 about the making of the film. Six deleted scenes. Audio interview with author Janet Frame from 1983. Trailer, stills gallery, and the usual booklet and essay that Criterion usually do. I'd actually be, in, you know, when you like commentaries, you know, but I'd actually be interested in listening to that commentary. I reckon it'd be fascinating. It would be really interesting. Um, yeah, Jane Campion's got a real, like, laid-back way of talking. So mm. it'd be, yeah, kind of interesting. But, yeah, final thoughts. You, you dug this one. Very much. Yeah. I, I like talking about a film for once which we don't shit on. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, like, don't don't be like, I don't know, I think it was the... It's yeah. When you just unanimously love it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So good. Mm. Uh, well, hopefully we've got another one of those next episodes. Uh. <laughs> Sorry about that. I beg your pardon. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Uh, hopefully we've got another one of those next week or next episode when we uh, dive into Harakiri. Ooh. This is a film that I love. Ooh, I'm From excited. From 1962. It's a Kobayashi film. It's great. Okay. I'm not going to tell you anything about it Good. other than it's an amazing Japanese film. Yeah, but uh, otherwise, I guess, I don't know, do we discuss what we're doing for Patreon? Yes, we can. Um, you threw out the idea of our guilty pleasures, mm-hmm. and I freaking love this. So we've both gone deep diving on our guilty pleasures, but the problem is, it's got to you can't. Yeah, you might enjoy it, but it's got to you got to talk about yeah, it two hours. It, it, so it's, it's a, like <laughs> yeah, the thing of like, I mean, I love. I think one I threw to you is like Kong Skull Island. Like I love watching that movie. It's a great hangover movie, but and it's a guilt. It's a guilty pleasure. But could I sit and 
discuss Kong Skull Island for two hours? <laughs> That's probably prob- not. I think most of my guilty pleasures are like that. Oh. Yeah, so we're. I think we're gonna. We're, we're definitely sticking to this. Yes, we're sticking to it. And I'm, I'm gonna throw out what I think would be fun is because I kind of view it as there's two distinctions of guilty pleasure. There's like the the cheesy bad, like quote unquote bad movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know about you, but I've got some that are like guilty pleasures that are actually considered good, great films so it's like do we do one of each yeah and then but do i pick from your list and you pick from mine okay yes we've got to we've got to tone them down a bit and then yes. we'll pick each other's yeah cool i like it and so, i just added another one to my list sorry yeah oh no I, that's the problem I've, I've been like taking ones away and then adding, adding. something yeah it's it's been a pain, but we'll figure it out. But uh, <laughs> if you're interested in figuring out what those will eventually be, mm. head over to patreon.com slash the Criterion Quest. Uh, as always, it'll be in the episode notes there. Um, we've got our Breakfast at Tiffany's commentary out at the moment, which was a whole lot of fun to do. It was. Um, so monthly uh, audio commentaries, a little fun stuff. We, lo- we love to engage with everyone over there. Um, but otherwise, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Instagram at Criterion Quest, all that usual junk. Uh, rate and review, subscribe, yada, yada, yada. All the usual podcast stuff. Mm. But, yeah, thanks for a lovely episode, Lee. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we will be back in a fortnight's time with Harakiri. Do you know what Harakiri is? Hurricane. Suicide. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, ritual suicide for, through dishonor. Oh, uh, oh, oh, shit! Yeah. T- spoiler or slash teaser? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Definitely teaser. Yeah. Uh, but thank you all for listening uh, for this week's episode of the Criterion Quest. I'm Chris. I'm Lee. We'll see you next time. <laughs>